0: Listen, we've been in the book of Colossians for quite a few weeks now. We're in chapter 3. If you remember, last week we talked about putting off all of the old stuff. Now that we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, now that we have been transformed by his spirit, we should put off all of the old ways of living, all of the old things that we used to do. And and what's really interesting is, a Christianity is a replacement process. If you remember, uh, Christianity is always a replacement process. Uh, And so today we're going to talk about putting on the character of Jesus. Now, how many of you had older siblings of the same gender? Let me see your hands. Raise your hands high. Older siblings of the same gender. Okay. You all know what hand-me-downs are? Oh yeah. Yeah. They're all shaking their hands. Oh yeah. We know what hand-me-downs are. Sure. Uh, They're clothing that your older brother or sister uh, gets rid of or whatever they're too... They're too large for the clothing, and so they pass it on down to you, and you wear that clothing. I only had an older sister, so luckily my parents didn't do that. But you're probably familiar with those hand-me-downs. Picture this today as Jesus' hand-me-downs okay? We're, we're, we're talking about putting on the characteristics of Christ. So Christ takes these things off, puts them in the closet, and, and really, when we take off the old things, we walk in, we pull something off the closet, and we put it on. So we're actually putting on the characteristics of Christ. That's what we're going to look at today. And so we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. Let's read them all the way through, and then we'll come back and look at them one at a time. Here's what it says. It says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, And so we see in this passage that God is telling us, Paul is writing to this church, uh, uh, get rid of the old stuff, take it off, put it away, and put on these new characteristics of Christ. And so I want to show you in this passage uh, six different things uh, that we are to do. And the first is is this, put on new character clothes. Put on new character clothes. Look in verse 12. It says, put on then, because remember he's just talked about putting off the old stuff. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, interesting that this verse starts out with, put on, then. It doesn't say, uh, let Christ put on. It says, you do this. It implies that we are to do something. It implies a decision to Christ as Christians if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we have the ability to put on these characteristics. We simply need to decide to do it. He calls them God's chosen ones. Now, if you remember uh, back in verse or chapter two, Uh, Paul was writing to them and saying, hey, I know there's some among you who are saying, hey, you've got to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. You've got to obey the Old Testament law and you've got to do all the things that the law says to become a follower of Jesus. And and Paul uh, is, is writing actually to the church to correct them on that and to say, you don't need legalism, you don't need all this kind of stuff. But here, Paul uses this word chosen ones that implies to everybody who might be thinking this, to everybody who might be kind of falling under the pressure, listen. Uh, The nation of Israel are not God's chosen ones. You are God's chosen ones. You are the ones chosen by God in the New Testament, in the church age. He was doing this to help the Jews understand that, that Christians we're God's chosen people here. It doesn't negate the Old Testament, but he's saying, listen, you don't have to become a Jew to become a believer of Jesus. He calls them holy and beloved. This is where they are positionally, as he's talked about all throughout chapter two. He's like, listen, you're holy. Now, are they completely and totally perfect in their behavior? Of course not but they stand before God holy because of the blood of Jesus covering their sins. He calls them holy and and blameless. They're just uh, perfected. They're beloved by God. And then he tells them, do five things. Put on five characteristics. He says to have and show empathy and mercy to those in need and in distress, even if it is their own doing. Now let me just confess to you something. Uh, uh, I try very hard to be a compassionate person. And the reality is for any of us that we could go home from church today and our house be burned to the ground. God forbid that that should happen. But any of us could find us in a situation like that. Uh, n- not any of our fault, uh, not anything that we have done, uh, just things happen. It's really easy for me to be compassionate towards people that, that suffer those kind of things. But it's really hard for me to be compassionate for those who continue to hit themselves in the head with a ball-peened hammer and then complain about their headache. It's just really hard for me when I see people doing things over and over and over to themselves to get themselves in the mess they're in and then they complain about it. But here, Paul's saying, listen, folks, be compassionate to one another. Have compassionate hearts for each other. By the way, remember, what's the Bible students? Cheer? Thank you, Brian, for leading the cheer. I need to get you a yell leader uh, outfit. Yes, you should, you should, context, context, context. The context of these passages are very important. He's writing to a church about believers and how they should interact with one another. There are other places that talk about how the church should deal with unbelievers, those outside the church. But here he's only talking to those who are believers. He's saying, listen, to each other, have compassionate hearts. Even, even when They're hard-headed, and they don't learn. Now, let's just be really honest. All of us are pretty smart people. I know most of you. You're pretty smart people in some areas. And then every one of us is a little hard-headed, a little thick-headed in a couple of areas, aren't we? We just seem to do the same things over and over and over and can't get a handle on them. let's, Let's be honest. I struggle with that, too. And listen, I want compassion when I'm hitting myself and complaining about my headache. Don't you? Of course. Doesn't mean we condone sin. Doesn't mean we condone bad bad behavior and encourage people to continue it. It just means when people are in distress, no matter what the cause is, we should have compassionate hearts towards them. Then he says, be kind to one another. Have kindness. That's being courteous. Showing affection for. Treat them like family. Good family. Good family. <laughs> you know, I don't know about I don't know about you, but you know, uh, back when I was young, my parents took me to two different family reunions every year. One was really fun and exciting, and we loved it and looked forward to it. And one, man, we could not wait to get out of there. I don't know if you have had families like that, but this is the good family. Okay, this is Jesus' family. He's saying, listen, be courteous to one another. Just be kind. Can you just be kind to one another? I don't think it's too much to ask. Then he says, humility. That's thinking of others before yourself, realizing your place. By the way, this doesn't mean that we practice this kind of silly, false humility that we sometimes do in our culture. You know, when somebody comes to you and they go, hey, you did a great job on that thing, and you look down, and no, I, I didn't really, I'm, I'm, I'm dirt on the bottom of a slug, I could never do anything good. It's not that stuff, folks. By the way, let's, let's not do that. When somebody comes and compliments you on something, just say, thank you very much, but realizing That anything we do of any real value always comes from God. It comes from Christ in us. It doesn't come from us. Okay? Humility is understanding your place in the world and your place with God and others. It's not this false I'm I'm a slug thing, okay? Meekness means to be quiet and gentle, not in personality, but in the way you deal with other people. It means not easily riled up or offended. And then we look at patience. That kind of goes with meekness. It means long suffering. Suffer long with people. Don't be easily provoked. Be patient with them. Now, meekness and patience, folks, are, are, are they're not only leaving the church, they're leaving our whole culture. Okay? I mean, I mean there are people today that I think really believe that the Constitution uh, uh, gives us the inalienable rights to, for, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of being irritated by anything. You know, uh, and, and listen, this this can't happen in the church, folks. You can't drive up and be irritated because somebody's parked too close to the line. You can't you can't walk in and go, oh, the pastor's wearing jeans and preaching. That's horrible. You can't be irritated by every single thing. Look around. Look around. I don't want you to seriously take your eyes off me and look around at each other. You're all quirky. Okay? We're all quirky. We all got our little. Listen, folks, the church should not be the place where people get irritated about every single little thing that comes up. It should be the place where we offer meekness and patience with each other. Okay? We are not only uh, to put on new character. Uh, close. But Paul goes on to say, we're to forgive one another completely. When we don't do these things perfectly, we're to forgive, forgive one another completely. Look what it says in verse 13. It says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must, this is a command, must forgive Now, this is one of those verses where I go, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Lord, I wish you would have stopped right there. Because then you go on to add, as the Lord has forgiven you. Ouch. Ouch. Bearing with one another means putting up with each other and our individual quirkiness, being okay with it. And then he says, forgive each other the same exact way the Lord has forgiven you. Immediately and completely you know in acts 15 paul and barnabas had such a difference of opinion about their ministries and it was so strong that they decided to part ways in ministry with each other they said we, we can no longer minister together we we gotta we gotta go two different directions but you never hear either one of them ever dog the other you never hear either one of them putting down the other. Even in secular writings about the church and the history and all that, you don't hear any of that. These men, even though they had such a difference of opinion that they couldn't minister together, they forgave one another. They didn't hold it against each other. And that's what forgiveness means it means no longer holding anything against someone for any reason. It doesn't mean some kind of forced agreement where we all have to be robots and think the same about everything and agree the same about everything. It just means where we don't, we just, we're just okay with each other. We just forgive one another. Then we not only have to put on new character clothes and forgive one another, but he says, above all, put on love. In verse 14, Paul says this, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Like an overcoat, like a, like a, a, a trench coat to the floor put on, on the top of everything else, this coat of love that covers everything and just kind of binds it all together. Now, there are many times when we see this word love, and there are many Greek words for our one English word love. There are many times when we see this word love, and I've told you before that love is not only a motive, but it's an action. It's not necessarily a feeling sometimes, it's an action. When Jesus tells me to love my neighbors, he's not saying, Michael, I demand that you feel warm and fuzzy about your neighbor who hates you. He's not saying i got to have a feeling. I can't, I can't manufacture a feeling. What he says is, Michael, act in love towards your neighbors, and that I can do. Even if he hates me, even if he doesn't like the fact that I act in love towards him, it's still my responsibility, acting in love towards them. In this passage, though, folks, it's not just an action. It's a motive. It's a motive that matters. While love is always an action, it's also named as a motive in this particular passage. You see, people can act in certain ways, uh, even against their feelings, against their desire. But folks, as a Christian... If we are all Christians who are transformed by the same spirit of God through salvation in Jesus Christ, his son, and we all have the same daddy, we should be able to love one another. We should be able to really care about each other. We should be able to not only act in love towards one another, which is absolute, but we should also learn and grow in our fondness of one another that motivates us our behavior. And so here he says, above everything, put on love. He goes on to say, embrace the peace of Christ. In verse 15, he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. By the way, there's another hint right there that he's talking to the church and not just the world. You were called in one body. It's very interesting the wording that he's using here. He doesn't say uh, and and desire the peace or, or and search out for the peace. This word let is a passive word. It means listen. God's spirit is trying desperately to bring peace to your hearts. Will you just let it happen? Just let it. Let it. Don't block it. Don't do things counterintuitive to it. Don't do things counteractive to it. Just let it happen. Folks, the reality is if you don't have peace in your heart about your life, about your eternity, about your relationships, about everything kind of in general, and the peace of Christ is not ruling and reigning in your heart, I don't have any idea what happened there. Uh, can somebody help me out with the video, please? Uh, but listen, uh, when, when, um, when we are looking at the peace of God in our hearts, it's about us yielding. It's about us letting him do what he wants to do in us. It, it means we get out of his way and let him rule and reign in our hearts and bring peace to us. By the way, uh, here's why that's, that should be a little bit easy. We are in a constant state of living in peace with God because of our relationship with Christ. In other words, in this very moment right now, I am experiencing peace with God. I'm getting peace with God because I have this relationship with Jesus Christ who's forgiven all my sins. And just in a second, in this moment, I'm experiencing peace with God. And it's a like twelve years old but it's something that's continually happening. I'm currently experiencing peace with God on a consistent basis, and therefore it should be fairly easy for me to uh, uh, yield to God's spirit in me and let his peace come out of me. And then he says, and by the way, when you do this and you experience this kind of peace, when you go to bed at night worried about nothing, knowing that I've got it all figured out, it's all in my hands, I'm all in charge. When you go to bed at night with that kind of peace in your hearts, you ought to be thankful. By the way, this is the first out of three times he's going to say that in this passage. Be thankful. Folks, if, if, if you struggle with being thankful, you meditate on the idea that as a Christian, if you are, that as a Christian you are experiencing continual peace with God because of what Jesus has done for you. Let me tell you, every time you mess up, you realize you remember I'm still experiencing peace with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. He's already paid for my sins, a uh, past, present, and future. All I have to do is by faith accept that as the truth and give him my life. And I'm living in continual, continuous peace with God. Folks, that should make us thankful. And by the way, you cannot be thankful for God's incredible grace and mercy and be at war with God's people. You can't love him and hate what he died for at the same time. You uh, You can't say you love him and then hate his church. It just doesn't work. But when you really love him, when you really experience that peace, you become thankful. And by the way, if you're not at peace with God today or or, or not at peace with God's people today, fix it. If you're sitting on one side of the sanctuary because uh, there's somebody sitting over on the other side, or if all this talk about peace and you've been kind of doing that side-eye thing to that person that you're not at peace with, folks, get that right today. Don't leave here without fixing that. That is not honoring to God. He doesn't desire that. We are uh, children of the same father. By the way, don't forget to take out of your verbiage that everybody in the universe, everybody on the planet are God's children. No, we're not. We're all God's creation. Only those who've given their life to Jesus and are born again are God's children. But once we become God's children and we're part of his family, we're brothers and sisters. And I'm sure he's not pleased when his children fight. So get that figured out today. Paul says, let God's word make your heart sing. Look in Colossians 3.16. By the way, if you're going to um, uh, just just memorize one verse in Colossians, this would be the verse that I would encourage you uh, to memorize. Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's not enough to just accept the gospel, but we need to let it the gospel, the word of God, dwell in us richly. It's not enough to just say, okay, I believe it, I trust it, I accept it. But now we've got to really let it dwell in us richly. And when we talk about dwelling in us, not not like a servant in a family is under somebody else's authority, but like as the master of the house, calling the shots. Okay, God's word should be living in us, uh, calling the shots for us. We need to know God's word and we need to use it as an offensive weapon of warfare, like a sword. Now, listen, a sword in the hands of a 10-year-old with no training is dangerous. Even when my grandsons at Christmas time get those little uh, cardboard tubes that they're wrapping papers on and they have a sword fight, which I don't... I don't know if you guys experienced that, but after we open all the gifts, all they want is the little paper tubes so they can have a sword fight. I think I'm gonna get them a box of paper tubes this year and they'll go nuts, okay? Uh, but they're, they're, that's out of control. I mean, they, they don't, somebody always gets hurt, get poked in the eye or something gets broken. With hundreds of hours of training, a sword is a masterful weapon. It is pretty masterful. We need to approach the word of God as our weapon for life. We can't spend a half an hour a month in God's Word and expect to ever use it very well. Think about a child who starts karate lessons. Maybe they start with a half an hour a week lesson or an hour a week lesson, and they really like it and they're kind of good at it, so they go two or three times a week and they do this, and they kind of start going up the the belt thing, you know, different color belts. And, and by the time they've taken five, six, seven years of this, they're pretty incredible. I don't know if you've seen some of these kids, but they're, they're pretty incredible doing this stuff. I think sometimes we, we don't see the end well enough that we don't put in the time it takes to learn to use God's word now. I don't care where you're at. I don't care if you're a 10-year-old wielding a, a cardboard tube when it comes to the And you'll be surprised how quickly how quickly you're able to really use it. And then not only use it for your own life, but look what it says in this passage. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You learning God's word doesn't only benefit you, but it benefits others as you teach and admonish others. The word of God should be our weapon for life. Spend time reading it, studying it, memorizing it, contemplating on it, listening to it in the car. Whatever you can do, folks, it is the thing that we need to stay connected to God, to stay uh, uh, on his path, to be doing and living as he wants. Let me see also in this passage that the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is, is both the task and the result of God's word dwelling in us. We see in this phrase, it's both used as a support to God's word teaching and admonishing, but also a result of God's word teaching and admonishing us. In other words, we should pick songs here that teach and admonish us. Uh, We're very careful that the songs we choose don't say something that's not biblically true. Uh, There are some songs that are very popular on Christian radio, Uh, that I love to listen to and I love to sing in the car, but our church will never do them because they're just not quite biblically accurate. And so even when we hear these songs that we sing on Sunday mornings, they should be part of the process of teaching us, admonishing us to do the right thing and to grow admonishing us. In other words, listen, when you teach, when you are in God's word and then you come here and you sing these songs Psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs. It should do something to you. By the way, those three things specifically, I don't want to take a lot of time, but Psalms are the Old Testament Psalms that it's talking about there. Hymns are not the Broadman hymnal, just so you know. Uh, For those of you who go, yeah, see, we should be doing hymns all the time. No, uh, that's not what it says. Uh, Hymns are are church songs. They are songs of the body. And then spiritual songs are songs that uh, basically you make up. You're moved. And you just sing in your heart to God. You sing out. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Elf, but, but it's kind of the concept of, of when he's standing and he says, I'm in a store and I'm singing and I'm in a store and I'm singing. Okay, it's probably a little better than that. But, but what it's talking about there is when you are in God's word and you're spending time in it and, and you, just, you just feel moved to sing. It's, a spirit, it's not something anybody's written down. It's not, you, just, you just want to sing it out. By the way, be careful uh, doing this in your car with the window. Uh, But anyway, uh, but look what it says here. Uh, uh, Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This should be the result of us spending time with God. This should be the result of us spending time with God's word. Now, I know that we are not all of the same uh, personality type. And I know that I'm kind of, you know, one of those guys that easily cries at movies and things like that. I, I get it. And some of you guys aren't, and and we've all got different personalities. But if you have got a, a growing, thriving relationship with God, and you're spending time in his word, and you come here week after week after week after week and spend a half an hour singing the kind of songs we sang, and it never moves you at all, you should check your pulse. Your spiritual pulse, really. I mean, because it's not, it's not all about being moved, but I'm just saying, sometimes, guys, it should, it should hit our emotions. It should move us. It should motivate us to want to sing God's praises. And all of this has to be done with thankfulness in our hearts. This is the second time he's said that. The singing, both for praise and for teaching, should always be done with sincerity of heart we should mean what we sing on Sunday mornings. We should mean what we sing as we, if we listen to Christian music during the week. It should be something that's real for us and something that moves us. The last thing Paul mentions in this passage, after putting on new character clothes, forgiving one another, uh, above the word, make our hearts sing, is to do everything to honor God. Look in verse 17. Paul says, and whatever you do, whatever you do, It covers everything. In word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He's saying, listen, whatever you do in life, do it in line with his commands and his desires. Whatever you do in life, do it in compliance with God's word. Whatever you do in life, do it with strength that is supplied by God himself and his spirit. Whatever you do in life, just remember and know that he's watching you and do it with a heart that's wanting to please him. He's saying, listen, whatever you do, whether you talk about it, whether you say it, or whether you actually physically are doing something, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. When you go to work, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. When you go to school, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. When you have lunch, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, Do it in a way that honors God. We also see here that the third time he mentions, do it with thankfulness to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Folks, Jesus is the mediator of our praises as much as our prayers. He is the one that has connected us to God the Father. Without Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we would have no connection to God the Father whatsoever. And so when we praise God, it goes through Jesus. When we talk to God, it goes through Jesus. When we have any interaction with God the Father, it goes through Jesus. He has become that mediator for us. So we see here that Paul encourages the church uh, as they have taken off all of the bad things, as they've taken off their sinfulness and the sinful ways that they have dealt with one another. He says, put on now, put on the new stuff. Put on the character of Jesus. Remember that Christianity is a replacement process, folks. Jesus replaced our sin with forgiveness. He replaced our self-centered heart with a heart of love and compassion and selflessness. Don't just take off the old man and the habits that went along with that, but replace them by putting on the character of Christ. Putting on his hand-me-downs. Put on the clothes of Jesus and be him to the world. Folks, the the world needs to see Jesus. And he's bodily not here. Oh, he will be again, but not right now he's not. He's counting on you and I being the reflection of him to the world that desperately need to see him, desperately need to see him. So put off the old stuff. Don't uh, continue in your life before you knew Christ but put on the new life that comes with Christ. Put on his characteristics in your life. Be him as much as we possibly can to the world that is desperately looking for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the trouble you have gone to to give us your word and to uh, protect it for the last five or 6,000 years. I pray that you would help us to... Um, just make it a part of our lives. God, I pray that you would help us in every area to put off the old things of our life before we knew you and put on the new characteristics of your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word that guides us and teaches us, leads us, tells us what you want from us, tells us how we can know you, how we can connect with you, how much you love us. And Father, we pray now that you would help us as we walk out of this door to not only love one another, not only forgive one another they're with the same Father, but God, help us to be a great reflection of Jesus to the people outside these doors who are still far from you, who need to give their lives to you. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who hasn't yet crossed that line of faith, who hasn't given their life to you, who hasn't realized and acknowledged that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Father, I pray that today that they would turn their life over to you, that they would talk to somebody before they leave, and that they would give their life to you and let you, and, and let you really take control and see how new you can make their life. Now we love you, and we just thank you for all of your goodness. Help us be thankful people who really are grateful for your love and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.